Hi, I'm Mark Renner. This is Victory Over Sin. My name is Mark Rennick. This is Victory Over Sin. First part of the show, what I do is try to explain to you how we're funded and what we're attempting to do. Victory Over Sin is a funded program through the advocacy program from St. Vincent de Paul of Southwest Idaho. And what we attempt to do with that money is to educate you, the Idahoan, about what it's like to be incarcerated and to come out of incarceration and live on parole. We do that in several different ways, but one of those, the one we're proud of, the most, I would say, would be this radio show that's been going for a little over two and a half years now. If you go back to the archives of KBXL, you can look up all the shows that we've ever recorded. And in there, you'll see national figures. You will see politicians. You will see agency heads who help us here in Idaho. And you'll also people who come out of prison who tell their story. Some of them have succeeded. Some of them haven't. It's really a powerful work, if you will, of the correctional system here in Idaho. We would interest you in kind of going back and taking a look at that at your leisure. There's some really good people in there. The other thing we do is we do a PowerPoint that we will bring out to your business, to your church, to your community group. It's about a 20-minute PowerPoint, and what that does is articulate the issues that we think you need to know about the Department of Corrections here in Idaho and highlight some of those issues. The great thing about this is it is led by a returning citizen. So it's somebody who has done the program, who's been out, and who is working their way on parole and doing well. At the end of that 20 minutes, you should have questions. That person should be able to answer those questions and spark this discussion because we're going to argue that you need to get involved in the system and help us change it. So that's some of the things we do. If you have not known about this, we now have a office that's been going for about nine Months now, so we're really proud of our own office. It's located at 8620 West Emerald Suite 140. What we attempt to do out of that office every day, Monday through Friday from 9 to 12, is to be that first place for people to stop after incarceration. You come in there, you're going to get resources in terms of clothing. Most importantly, you're going to see all of my staff have been incarcerated. The only people that are in there have been incarcerated, has lived through this situation much like you have. So it's going to be a sympathetic voice, an offer of support. We also pick people up from prison. If you do not have a ride and you're listening to my voice in the desert, talk to your case manager and say, these guys will pick me up. Let's get in touch with them and we'll come out and pick you up, bring you to our office, take you to PNP, take you to where you're going to live, set you up with food stamps, take you and do those kinds of things that need to happen on the first day. So those are the things we're doing there. On your calendars, you should keep in mind that the Community Information Resource Fair is coming up again. This is like the Super Bowl of issues for offenders. There'll be 120 different vendors, agencies that look to address the people who work with people coming out of incarceration. It's an all-day event on 9-11. And the exciting thing this year is that 
we're going to have an event the night before in the same building, in the chapel of the same building. We're going to have a man come in that we're going to talk to in a minute, and his name is Glenn E. Martin. If you hang with me for a second, we'll introduce you to Glenn Martin, and we'll talk about what he does. The United States has the highest percentage of its population in prison in the world. That's 1 in 200 Americans are currently serving time in a federal or local prison. As of May 2017, Idaho has 8,223 men and women incarcerated and another 17,201 on probation and parole. So upon release from prison, who works with these individuals and families to help them transition back into our community? This is done by what we call Returning Citizens Resources and coffee shop. We offer them a cup of coffee and some resources and information to help get them on solid footing with their faith, their recovery, and to begin their new life as our neighbor. It's designed for the offender's first stop from the institution. If you'd like to help us help them, please contact Mark Rennick at 629-8861. That's area code 208-629-8861. And if you're out in the desert needing any help for your transition, We pay for that call. This is very cool, but I get to introduce to you a man who I respect um, and who has been an influence in me in very powerful ways. His name is Glenn E. Martin. He's a senior consultant and the founder of Gem Trainers. Glenn, thank you for being on the show today. Hey, Mark. I'm glad to be on. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your background and um, who you are. Sure. Uh, I was born in New York City, uh, Bedford Service in Brooklyn. Um, at, in my early 20s, I was incarcerated. I served six years in prison in New York State. Uh, when I emerged from prison, uh, I found myself looking for a job and navigating all the reentry barriers that most people face. Um, and then, you know, maybe serendipitously, but I landed at a law firm, a public interest law firm, answering the phones at the front desk. And I'm sure we'll get into some of what happened uh, after that part of the journey. But that's what really brought me into criminal justice reform and reentry. Well, you and I um, met through uh, an organization that you founded, Just Leadership USA. And tell us a little bit about the concept, how that came to you, and uh, what its mission is, if you will. Sure. After spending about 13 years in the nonprofit space, uh, doing work to change laws and change policies, and even at one point providing reentry services uh, to returning citizens, uh, I realized that um, I wanted to see uh, people be much more ambitious about ending our current system of mass incarceration. And so I built an organization uh, and started with the premise that um, we needed to do something really significant in a really short amount of time. And I looked at my son, Joshua, who will be 18 uh, in 2030, and I realized that if we could at least shoot for cutting the criminal justice population in half by 2030, there's a chance that I could save my child from being involved in our criminal justice system. And so the goal of the organization was to cut the number of people under correctional supervision in America in half by 2030, And to do that, I firmly believe that we needed to make a significant investment in leaders like yourself, um, people who have experienced the system. I always say, you know, you wouldn't redesign a hospital emergency room without talking to patients who've experienced that emergency room. And similarly, I think that uh, excluding formerly incarcerated people from the discussion about criminal justice reform 
uh, it's just not a really bright idea, especially because we lock up some of America's best and brightest. And as, as I always say, people closest to the problem are closest to the solution. Yeah, Why wouldn't you engage people who think about it to yeah, be a part of the That is the quote that you're probably most famous for, right? So say that quote think, again. That's, yeah. So the full quote is, uh, people who are closest to the problem are closest to the solution, but furthest from power and resources. Exactly. And in many ways, I built just leadership in response to that thought. And if you'll humor me for a minute, I'll tell you where it comes from for me. That'd be great. Sure. Uh, I came out of prison and found myself working around some of the, you know, best intentioned civil rights lawyers, like really good friends of mine, people who really taught me everything I know about doing advocacy work. And at the same time, I realized that even with all of their best intentions, there were elements of the criminal justice system that they simply did not understand because they lacked experiential knowledge. And then I was reminded of how much thinking I've done about our criminal justice system and what worked for me and what didn't work for me and what exacerbated the problem and what actually helped me to turn things around. And there were many moments where I'd be in rooms with policymakers and my colleagues after the meeting would say, like, wow, you really added uh, things to that meeting that we wouldn't have even thought of. And, and at one point I just said to myself, well, what would happen if hundreds, if not thousands, of other formerly incarcerated people had similar opportunities to be in those sorts of rooms, uh, getting uh, governors and mayors and other elected officials to think differently about what we might do to change our criminal justice system. And so that's why I wanted to build an organization that brought the people who are most marginalized to the center of the conversation, not to replace other good people who are there doing good work, but the idea being, you know, don't speak for us, speak with us. I think uh, two things that happened in terms of, as I mentioned, that when I say hashtag half by 2030, I think eyebrows go up and they look at you like, well, that's impossible. But it's really not impossible. And so the vision to see that and to articulate that is is commendable and uh, exciting at the same time. You know, I live in a state, New York, that actually has cut its incarceration rate by 50% over the last 20 years. And I couldn't have anticipated that when I launched the organization. I think at the time we had reduced our prison population by about 27%, and now we're down to uh, 50%. And the world hasn't fallen apart. In fact, it's become the, one of the safest, if not the safest, largest city in the United States. The other thing is, you know, the first campaign we led at Just Leadership USA was the effort to close down Rikers Island Correctional Complex in New York. Right. And anyone who knows anything about jails knows that this is one of the most notorious jails in the country for decades. Um, and in the beginning, people said the same thing. They said, no way, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. And it took us 12 months, 12 months uh, through the leadership of formerly incarcerated people to convince New York City that it needed to actually shutter this facility. And here we are a couple of years later as the city is working towards closing it. When we started the campaign, there were 11,300 people there on any given day. We're already under 8,000 people on any given day. And the city's commitment at this point is to get down to 4,000 people on any given day, which would be more than 50%. That's a, yeah, like I said, I say, I always have to explain Rikers when I'm out west here, but uh, it's just an incredible kind of effort. Uh, let me ask you about how, because I was, a, I was fortunate enough to be a fellow in 2000. 18. The concept of fellowships, how did you come up with that, and where did that come from, I think? 
sure. So David Mensa, the person who I hired to work for me at Just Leadership, trained me uh, as a leader about a decade earlier before I launched the organization. In fact, what he taught me gave me the courage and the fortitude I needed to step out on faith and build Just Leadership USA. And yet, when I went through the cohort-based training that he led, I realized that while it did have a significant impact on my leadership skills and abilities, that there was something lacking in terms of cultural competency. There were, there were certain things, certain elements of the curriculum that were more applicable to people who have never experienced the criminal justice system. And I said to myself, uh, I found that the, the cohort-based approach, the fellowship approach, was valuable because I'll never lose sight of those people, those leaders who ended up in corporate America, who ended up in nonprofit, who ended up in government, have been a huge part of my network. And we have a shared experience. We have shared tools. We have a shared mission as a result of going through that year-long training together. I said, what if we took the most impactful elements of that training, namely what we call breakthrough action leadership, and then built a curriculum just for formerly incarcerated people that was more about the issues that we face as people who've had a different type of shared experience, a different type of, you know, in this case, shared trauma in, in some cases. And the fact that by the, by the time people emerged from this training year after year, as we continue to train people, that there would be this national army, if you will, of formerly incarcerated advocates and leaders who understood that they were no longer working in silos, but that they were part of something bigger than themselves. You know that, and that is true. And that has happened, in terms of it, the network, almost like a pledge class fraternity or a uh, your boot camp kind of experience. I, I feel a part of. There's like 140 of these people, or 130 of these people now, and that is a person that I go into a state almost where I can find out who's been through it before, con- contact them, sit down with them, and it really is that fellowship that what you've designed has happened, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and better and better. I appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate the credit, but the truth is there's nothing about just leadership that defies common logic and uh, 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 programs that are applicable to other populations, to be quite honest. I mean, I've had the privilege of speaking at Harvard and Yale and Columbia and NYU and these other Ivy League institutions. And what I quickly learned is that's part of their social capital, the ability to reach out to other people that they've gone to university with throughout their lives when they had problems, when they needed resources, when they needed uh, knowledge. And I really just wanted to create the same very high-class opportunity for formerly incarcerated people. I thought that they deserved um, the privilege of being part of this network and having the network well-resourced also. And I know that that in particular happened to me because uh, the, when I mentioned at the first of uh, the top of the show, I said how we were funded with, and a condition upon me taking this funding from Saint, for St. Vincent de Paul was, I need you to go to Chicago and go through this emerging leader workshop. And so I went back in 2016 University of Chicago for a day-long seminar, and I can remember meeting you and meeting the, you know, uh, Cahill and Ronald and all those people there and walking away from that day experience with 35 or 40 people exactly like me, and it was such a powerful experience that um, I got all excited about it, and then 
I thought, man, and they were just ending, I think, the cohort for the next year. So I couldn't apply for that year, but I applied for the next year. And you're right. It was such a powerful experience to be around people that um, I just wanted more of. And I think that was the atmosphere that you set up for me, at least. Yeah. You know, they say leadership is a lonely place, and it is until you bring leaders together and help them understand that they have shared experiences, that they have uh, shared challenges, and that they have uh, answers that can support other leaders. They have experiences that can support other leaders, and that it's okay when you're in the middle of leading something to reach out to your counterpart, to your peer, to someone else and say, here's what I'm experiencing, and I really need support to get through this. I need uh, uh, fellowships to get through this. I, um, and, and this network creates uh, those opportunities. And, you know, it's just a culmination of my experience as a leader. Like, I just asked myself, you know, turtles, if you see a turtle on top of a pole, he didn't get there on his own, right? That's someone put him there. Yeah. And when I found myself sitting on top of a pole, I said to myself, someone put me here. Many people put me here. And can I package what it is that I've learned that has made me successful and share it with other people? Well, I know that I can't, uh, I know that I was probably one of the, first of all, I didn't, I was surprised they took me in the cohort for 2018, honored, but surprised. And so once I started out, I going back to New York thinking, what in the world am I going to do with those people? And you're right, David Mensa throughout the year changed my life in terms of my approach, in terms of my attitude, in terms of what I thought I could accomplish. Ironically, the man who sent me to that original 2016 thing, saw that in me. And so it's changed my life so dramatically that since last year we sent five people from Idaho to Phoenix for a day-long seminar. Next month, or this month, at the end of this month, we're sending five people to Alaska to experience that. So it truly is, I'm looking for people to follow in my footsteps, if you will, from Idaho to help get that same you know, see that light bulb go off and say, this is pretty cool. I need to change and I need to get yeah. involved. So that's where yeah, it started. Well, yeah, well, I appreciate your humility at the top of that statement where you said you weren't sure why you were chosen, but I actually see you as exactly uh, the type of leader I was targeting by building this program because, you know, if you didn't have this opportunity, you know, what are the chances that you would have been able to spread your wings the way you are now and really have these connections all over the country? Um, That was the goal for me. I mean, it is difficult to build power and to to have a shared vision when you're working in a silo and you feel as though you're the, you know, out there in the wilderness alone. And here you are, not just that you have these, these, uh, this network now all across the country, but now here you are introducing other formerly incarcerated leaders into that network. And I think that's a really powerful concept and I, I didn't develop it from scratch i mean i learned from I, I like when i when i face a challenge the first thing i ask myself is what's the analog like where does this exist elsewhere that i could just borrow from and as i said i just really thought about what worked for me what helped me to expand my network what helped me to be a better speaker a more effective uh advocate and just package that up and shared it with others so hearing your story of paying it forward uh, makes me feel really good about what we accomplished together. No, I think it's, again, it's very powerful. You're right, I I wouldn't have been anywhere. And I I had a struggling agency. It would not have gotten certainly near where it is now and influencing organizations on a national basis that that gave me the, the strength in terms of, well, you can't say enough about David Mensah, too, who just pulls that 
leadership out of you, if you will. Uh, and it's very powerful to experience. So, yeah, that's great. One of the things that you do so well and you um, that I've always respected is the organization and you even with your new effort use the social media so well. Talk about how you use social media and how that works to your benefit. Yeah, you know, this is not the typical story of people who go to prison, but when I went to prison, someone said to me, you should go to college, a correction counselor. And it was the first time anyone had ever said that to me. And I ended up in this very small college program in prison, and there were six computers on site. And a guy named Howie, who's also doing time, he had 22 years in when I met him. He taught me everything about computers, inside and out. And so I ended up learning about computers in a conceptual way, in a way that most people never learn about computers. So when I came out of prison, I quickly saw computers as something that was going to dominate the world, if you will, and that I just continued to learn more and more about how to use it as a tool to get messages out to the rest of the world. And so social media, which, you know, of course, evolved every day, but at the time I was building the organization, the question was, how can I make this organization appear like it's a train that's already left the station? Everyone wants to get on a train that's already leaving the station. And so I used social media to make the organization appear larger, bolder, you know, and more structured than it actually was. And that attracted a lot of funders and a lot of other types of supporters. But then I also realized that social media was a pretty effective tool to educate the public about the horrors of our criminal justice system. And so if you can't afford to go out and take out a page in the New York Times or, you know, your local newspaper, then what you can do is to use social media to share a message in a really powerful way and hopefully to get people to continue to share it. And it's very inexpensive if you do it well. And, you know, we ran what I think is a pretty high-class organization and tried to make everything top-notch. And I find that if you put a product out there that people are really attracted to, um, they want to make it their own. And part of making it their own on social media is retweeting it, reposting it, and telling people, hey, look at this. I think also, too, it's not just top-notch from that standpoint. Also, uh, going back to New York, everything that we did was first class. Everything we did was first class. There was we a did, reason for that. Yeah, uh, there, was no, there was no shared rooms. We ate at restaurants that I couldn't afford to eat at, and it was <laughs> elegant, and it was very powerful, and that had an impact, too. There's a reason for that. Um, halfway through my career, I found myself invited into spaces where there were so many forks on the table, I didn't know which one to grab first. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, this does a lot for my self-esteem, my self-efficacy, my sense of self-worth. The idea that you have a criminal justice system that spends a whole lot of time teaching people that they have little value in many cases. And it took a while for me to realize my self-worth as a human being. Mm -hmm. And I wanted our leaders, as soon as they arrived at Just Leadership, even before they arrived, as they were booking their tickets, as you know, as they were thinking about how to get from the airport to the hotel, all those sorts of things, to realize that this was an organization that believed that they were worth every single penny that we spent to give them this leadership training opportunity. Well, you certainly did that. I One of the things, and we're going to run out of time, but I want to hit it, just a couple more things. I did hear you speak for like an hour and a half in Wisconsin in 2017, and it was a, it was a I think it was parole agents or something like that for the whole state of Wisconsin. And you just absolutely mesmerized the audience 
and it was powerful, and uh, you quickly got on a plane and went back to New York. But that type of speech, we are now very fortunate to have. Uh, Mr. Martin is coming to Boise, Idaho on 9-10, and he will be at the Boise uh, Vineyard in the chapel next to the community resource fair that will happen the next day. And so we're very happy to have you coming. This is a calendar date that you need to mark and you need to be involved with. Uh, he is a dynamic speaker. He's one of those speakers where you walk in. I, I liken you to, um, I always liken you to like a Willie Brown from California who used to be the assembly uh-huh. leader, uh, to a Jerry Brown even. So, you know, how you walk into a room and it's just, Things change. You mesmerize. He will mesmerize you. And he'll tell you stories of how he got this. There are some great stories. So mark that date. He's coming uh, on the 10th to do that, and we're very thankful for that. I also want um, to... Go ahead. No, I was going to say I'm really excited. I booked my tickets this morning. I hope that your listeners show up. Um, always great to speak into an audience that's interested. I look forward to it. Okay. The other thing, too, is I want to give you a shout-out to what your effort is now with Jim Trainers. You want to talk for a few minutes about that, and uh, I want to let you make sure that your new venture, which is exciting, you want to talk about a little bit about that, too, if you would, please. Sure. At Gem Trainers, uh, we invest in other people's vision. Like, we help other nonprofit leaders to get more proximity to the resources they need to move their vision forward. So we do fundraising for nonprofit executives. We train them how to build and run an organization, how to structure the organization, if they're running advocacy campaigns, we train them on how to run a sophisticated advocacy campaign. If they're building a reentry organization, we do some programmatic development. The idea is I've had a 20-year run of having a number of ideas and bringing them into fruition, and now I've built an organization that helps other leaders like yourself to fulfill their vision and their dreams. Okay. And lastly, because we are going to run out of time, I talked to you about this before we taped, but he's also a photographer of talented skills and so what I've asked him off air was and I'm going to get him to commit on air is that he will take a picture that defines kind of Harlem for him print it out sign it and send it to me please okay because I would love to have that I would love to have that he's he's a very talented photographer so if you go to any of the social media and look up Lane Martin he takes a day or so where he rolls through New York City and takes pictures it's great yeah, you're right. So everything is Glenn E. Martin, all of my social media, Glenn with two N's, E. Martin. And you know what? I spent uh, a lot of time in my life being in front of the camera, and recently I picked up photography as a hobby, and the idea is I want to be behind the camera for a while and spend a lot of time thinking about other people and investing in other people and capturing the spirit of other people and other things. But I will take that picture. I'm committed to it, and I'll get it to you soon. You're a good man. You're talented. I'm looking forward to your... Uh, participation here in Boise, and we'll show you around. Thank you for doing that for me, sir. Thanks a lot. Looking forward. Take care. Mm-hmm. You will know a vision. You will know to saved us. You will know to rescued us from the grave. Glorious, you reign now. Creation cries out. You alone are king. You will know a vision. You will know to saved us. You will know to rescued us from the grave. Okay, as you can tell, uh, we're very lucky to have him come. Um, and if you need information about anything we talked about here, I'm easy to reach. You can reach out to me at www.systemicchangeofid.com. You can send me an email at systemicchangeofidaho, all spelled out there, at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Systemic Change of ID. 
We're on Instagram, Systemic Change of ID. You can even call me on the telephone at area code 208 I look forward to talking to you next Saturday afternoon on Victory Over Sin.